Well, good evening and good morning, ETL State of Mind listeners. The weather outside might be frightful, but the Premier League season is heating up. We are back this week to discuss maybe the best match week of the season so far. Rife with long goals, drama, refereeing controversies. So sit back and enjoy as we delve into the EPL state of mind. This week's episode opens up with our first manager sacking of the year as Paul Heckingbottom has been dismissed after a catastrophic start to the season that sees the blades and the very bottom of the table or at the very bottom of the table. Now, I don't know what was better or what was trying to trip me up more the fact that hecking bottom was in there or the fact that catastrophic was right after hecking bottom but i think we nailed this intro and i know two of the three epl state of mind title contenders are happy but how are we feeling boys sean i'll start off with you because i feel like we'll have some pessimistic feelings from kyle yeah, well, I mean, at the moment, it, it doesn't make me too happy because Liverpool has Sheffield United up next, and everyone knows about the famous new manager bounce. Um, Paul Heckingbottom kind of had to go. The Blades are sitting at the bottom of the Premier League table. They've given up the most goals. They've scored the least. Um, they've only, they've conceded 39, which is seven more than Burnley, who's in ninth, or excuse me, in 19th place. And then they also just got twatted by Burnley 5 nothing at the weekend. It was the death knell, um, you know, at that point. But the writing's been on the wall for a bit. Chris Wilder is going to take over, who was the previous manager uh, when they stayed up in 2020. And he got him promoted in, in 2019 or 2018-19 as well. Um, and then the next year they went back down and he got fired midseason. But he's a really good manager. He played five at the back. uses overlapping center backs, which I think he's the only coach that does that. Uh, which is obviously an interesting tactical wrinkle. Um, I just don't see a way that they stay up. We talked about how bad their business was this summer, and I think that just that really is what killed them. You lost your best player in Sanderberg. You lost your top goal scorer in Iliman in Dai. They brought in a couple of guys, but just not enough. It's a talent deficiency more than than a, than a coaching issue. You can't be losing games against the newly promoted teams by an ass whopping like that, especially if you aren't going to be anyone else, you have to play against the teams that you have just recently played against. Well, and I don't really think any of us and, and Sean, like I said before, you are the gaffer God with all knowledge that is of past, present and future coaches in the EPL. So I don't think really we had a prediction quite yet on which coach was to go, but like you said, I think it was the the nail in his coffin this weekend. You just can't get battered, like I said, against that, especially if your team is in, you know, such poor form, losing to Bournemouth, who's also been in the relegation talk. You know, unfortunately, the week before that, they tied Brighton 1-1 and beat Wolves 2-1. So there's a little blip in the system there for him, but you can't have blips. It's got to be more consistent. So the first managerial sacking of the season. Any, um, any? Guesses on where the dominoes gonna fall next for you, Sean? Um, I think it might be Kyle's boy Vincent Company. I know they just got a big win this weekend, but I mean oh. you're in nineteenth place. Yeah. <laughs> you're in nineteenth place. Like I said, they've scored the second least amount of goals. Or excuse me, conceded the second most amount. They're they've not scored a ton. You know, maybe this is the turning point for them their season, but I think you know, the expectations for them were higher than they were for Sheffield or for Luton Town. Luton Town's out of the relegation zone. Everton's unfortunate with, you know, with the points deduction. So I think Sean Dyche is safe. Another one that I think this is very low key and I don't know, um, you know, how actual likely it is because I think he's a good manager. Say, but say Steve, Cooper. Yeah, yep. Steve Cooper at Nottingham yep. Forest. Um and again, I I think he do, he's done a really good job there, getting him promoted, keeping them up last year. He's been a good coach, but um, you know they're not too far out of the relegation zone. They've lost four of their last five. Big match against Fulham coming up. You know we shall see. Um, but their away form has been dreadful, and they've they've not been as good as home as they were last year as well. No, not by any means, and especially with Cooper having the ability. I don't know how, but you look at the teams that have recently come up over the past few seasons, and he has the forest nottingham forest that is have spent the most so really there's no other explanation other than possibly some managerial issues going on i think the players are bought into the challenge that they see across from each other but it's a great segue into the fact that as we said before the weather outside is getting chilly 
the the lineups that we've seen are heating up and the rumors for transfers are coming down the pipeline. Right before you get into that, uh, you know, this was a big win for Burnley and Vincent Company. All right. Vincent Company has been ending managers for a long time. This is nothing new to him. The big <laughs> thing for this is or the big takeaway, in my opinion, from this game is that Burnley scored with five different goal scorers, including Brun Larson. That's a massive, massive first goal for Brun Larson on the team on his debut. So that's, I mean, that's a huge positive. And then to close off the game with a captain goal, uh, I mean, everyone's vibing. I, I think this is a huge turning point for Burnley. Also, with Heckingbottom getting canned, it's fully deserved. If you look at the, the time of the goals, they let up three goals between minutes 73 and 80. You know, when you're down, have some composure. Have your team strong with a nice headset. You're not letting up three goals in, in bitch time. You know, that is just, in my opinion, a managerial error, and he fully deserves to get canned based on that. So, you know, this is this is a big turning point for Burnley. I'm going to go ahead and say that. I can see them staying in in the win column or at least the tie to win column for the next couple of weeks. And you also touched on Burn Bournemouth. Bournemouth have 10 points in the last five games. I mean, you start the season five weeks ago, they're in the top six. So I, I can see them... <laughs> Not not staying. I mean, not only staying up, I can see them placing at like a comfortable 15, 15, 16 this season. I don't think they're in any danger for the most part of going down this year the way they've been in the last two months. They're, they look electric out there. Yeah, they're almost double in, this, in the green in the safety zone than the 18th place team, which is, like we said before, Everton, who we don't know the fate of. But like like you said, I think it's it's a great point to make. Bournemouth, you know, they get their first at home win, which is which is gigantic for them of the season. A lot of these teams at the bottom of the table will have to kind of look into the transfer window to see if they're going to be able to do anything to stay up. Last year, the transfer window, big shock here, was one of the most spent transfer windows for the EPL in recent histories and the leading player in that massive winter spending of course, and I'll go through three of them, was Chelsea. They spent 307 million euros in the winter transfer window, 100 of those million coming from one player in particular. That would be, uh, I believe it was Enzo Fernandez that came in in the wintertime for him. So that was their big spender there. Uh, Southampton, like I said before, these lower of the bottom table teams are going to have to spend a bit money. And Southampton was in a position for relegation last season. They spent big with 63.25 million euros, and they were relegated. So money is not always going to save you. And then Arsenal, obviously, in a title contention and push, they were third highest spenders with 60.3 million euros, obviously bringing in some really quality with Leandro Trossard as the highlight there. And then, of course, I'll throw his name out there just because he's world-class as Jorginho. But moving on to the very quickly there, we have the teams that were that sell, sold the most players and made the most money. And shocker, I'm sure Blake, if he was on the line with us, he would have something to say here. But leading the pack with 45.6 million euros made is Everton. And then the other big shocker here is Brighton made at least 14 million euros as well in the winter transfer window. Now, there were two teams that had absolutely no movement, essentially, coming out net zero, and that was Brentford. No one came in or went out. And then Man United, they were a net zero. And that, if you all remember, that shit show of a storm was because they let Ronaldo go scot-free. Other than that, we don't want to get too much into it because we'll kind of have a breakout session further down the road when the transfer window is actually occurring. But some big names to always consider when you have six months left in your contract going into the winter window, you start to wonder where are, where is your spot next season? Are you going to get that extension? Is someone going to splash the cash for you because your team is willing to sell you at a profit or for anything at this point before you get to go for free? And just going down the line quickly of some larger names that we've talked about earlier in the podcast throughout the season is Thomas Suchek of West Ham, the center mid, center defensive mid player. He's started 12 of their 13 games. This has a relatively good season so far for the Hammers. Aaron Wan-Bissaka seemingly came back into the starting lineup relatively easily for a very injury-plagued back line for Manchester United. He's played eight of the last 13 or the last 13 matches. He would he was brought in for 55 million, so he'd probably be sold for a lot less, a lot less at a loss. Uh, Eric Dyer from Tottenham 
he is a center back, as we all know, and we all don't appreciate him, I think, as much as he should be appreciated, but I don't I don't necessarily agree with that either. He's played two matches, and he the only reason why he didn't play this last weekend was he had a knock. But I would not be, you know, shocked if Tottenham tried to make a line or a move there while they still can make a profit off of him. Uh, Jorginho, I know we spoke about him already, and I love to talk about him. He's got his last six months up in the year contract that he's got over at Arsenal. He's played in 11 of their matches so far. Anthony Martial, who's been under a storm of criticism, has played 12 matches and only started four. Can't seem to find his form. That's another one they might sell at a loss. Thiago Silva, the man who just doesn't age, is Chelsea's center back. Started all 14 matches. One of their staples in the back there, but he is 39 years old. You have Joe Ma uh, Joel Matip, a Liverpool center back. And these next two are, are your team, Sean, so I'd be interested to see what you have a quick say on them but Joel Matip center back from Liverpool he's played 10 matches he's 32 years old Thiago Liverpool center mid hasn't played a single game of the season yet he is 32 years old and injuries only come more of an issue further down that line so I'd be interested to see what you see if there's going to be an extension on there Fabian Schar Newcastle center back he has started all 14 games to me he's a must resign I'm not sure if I've seen anything that he already has gotten an extension but for me he's a veteran player and was a massive influence in the season last year. And then obviously the last one that we have here is Danny Welbeck, a striker for Brighton who's currently injured, but has started seven of the eight games he's participated in. So just a really quick hit for that um, to keep your eye out on some key names there over the transfer window coming up. Yeah, I, I mean, just hearing all that run through, Eric Dyer stands out to me. I think this is the time that Tottenham needs to let him go. I mean, as you said earlier, he was bought for $5 million. His current market value is $18 million, and that's on a stark decline right now. I mean, he he hit the peak of $40 million from 2016 to 2019, and every year it's going down, you know, $4 million here, $6 million here, and he's down to around 18 right now. I think this is the time that Tottenham needs to get rid of that player and bring in someone who's actually worth, in my opinion, $18 million. because, as you mentioned, he's, you know, criminally underrated, but is he? You know, is yeah. he actually he's played two matches this year? If you can get $18 million for a player like that, this is the time to do it. He's obviously not in Ange Postacoglu's plans. I think the only reason why he's possibly getting back in the lineup is because Vandervin, unfortunately, one of the most underrated signings of the summer, speaking about transfers, is currently injured for quite some time. And Tottenham Hotspurs does need the depth. But to be honest with you, with the showing that we'll talk about later, maybe they don't need the Eric Dyer depth. Yeah, absolutely, and and even just going off that, uh, what you just said, he's clearly not in the plans. I mean, they're playing two fullbacks and center back right now instead of him, so that just sums it up. Sean, what do you think about your boys? Yeah, just quickly, I mean, I think Matip has to get re-signed. I think they don't have, like, a, an obvious replacement for him um, in terms of a right-sided center half. Kanate is also very injury-prone in his own right. I would think another one-year extension makes sense. Tiago, I adore him. I think he's one of the best all-around midfielders in the world, but it's time to move on. Uh, my buddy Smitty is convinced. He has a conspiracy theory that we sold him to Saudi after the window was shut, and we're just waiting for the window to reopen to sell him to Saudi because <laughs> um, he just seems to be that type of player who, who would go there. Um, but seriously, if he does, if he is fit, great. It's a bonus, but it just injuries have really taken a toll on him. Unfortunately, I think he'd be great um, in in solving a lot of Liverpool's issues. But um, yeah, I think a replacement for him is needed. Whether that's January or the summer remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, so this is more a question for both of you guys. I was reading. I don't usually look at transfer rumors. I think it's a lot of nonsense. It's a lot of just ways to get people to continue to go into the media. But I did read that Mbappe was looking and in talks with both Liverpool and Arsenal. So, I mean, I'm not included in this with Man City, but is that a player, in your guys' opinions, being fans of those teams, that is worth making room for at this point? Yeah. Not in the winter. Yeah, but not in the, it won't be in the winter. Oh, yeah. It won't be in the winter. No, no. But, yeah, of course, he's, he's one of the best the players best in the world. world. Yeah, he's unbelievable. Uh, listen, I, I, don't, I don't buy it. I think he's going to Madrid. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's my take. We've seen that saga unfold over three different transfer windows, though, so crazier things have definitely happened. Fuck yeah. Are you kidding me? If, if Mbappe were to put on an Arsenal jersey, I would have a child now just to name him Mbappe Jr. and have him raised during the era of Arsenal Mbappe-ness. That would be in insane. I got a tough question for you. 
Yeah. You get Mbappe, but you have to sell Martinelli and Odegaard. You do it. I have to sell Martinelli and Odegaard? Yes, and Jorginho. No. Well, that's <laughs> relevant. He's fucking ass. Two-pack ass. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a hefty... I If you told me I had to sell Martinelli, I would sell Martinelli. I don't think I would get rid of the central presence because Martinelli has, is such a great player, and I love him to death. But if you told me that Martinelli has to go to bring in Mbappe, I I think that's probably the smartest thing to do. But I <laughs> yeah. do love Martinelli. Absolutely. But getting into probably the smartest thing to do is very easily taking a few, three deep breaths, Kyle, before we get into this next one, because we are getting into, oh, he's got the land shark ready to go. We are getting into the next segment which is our weekend roundup and like sean said this weekend was absolutely bonkers all the games were pretty much high scoring everything came down to last minutes i know one of our good friends luigi has been talking to sean and i relatively on the regular now on the weekends and he said it's always a good weekend when your phone is blowing up at the 85th to 92nd minute of all these afternoon games you know everything is going crazy so starting off with probably the hottest one of the weekend, and that is the marquee matchup of Manchester City 3, Tottenham Hotspur 3. And just so everyone knows before we get into this, the XGs of this game were Manchester City 3.09 to Tottenham Hotspur's 0.56. So right off the cuff, unfiltered reaction. Kyle, go. Unfiltered? Are you fucking kidding me? Absolute (laughs) nonsense. Nonsense. But, I mean, I was thinking all day about how I was going to talk about this game and keep my composure, which won't happen. But it, it was classic Man City. Just, boom, pass the ball in the back. Oh, keep possession. Oh, you know, if you have more possession, you win the game. No, that's not how it fucking works. Take all the passes you want. Take all the shots you want. Shots on target and goals. That's what I look at when it comes down to offense. And you know what? Hmm. They tied four to four shots on target. They tied three to three goals. That's what it comes down to. It was it was brutal, absolutely brutal. Simon Hooper, I mean, if you guys listening have a better punishment for him than like drawn and quartered, flayed, I think James mentioned tar and feather. That's you my guys let me favorite, know because yeah. I'm still on the fence about how he should be punished. For those who didn't watch the game, Simon Hooper brought back in the 93rd minute an absolute one-on-one breakaway from Jack Grealish because he said advantage. Holland was fouled around midfield, went down, immediately got back to his feet because he's not a pussy and he's in his young 20s and he can. And then he threw an over-the-top ball straight to Jack Grealish in stride. Perfect which gave pass. Him perfect perfect pass. pass, which gave him over three yards of separation from him in the defensive line. Granted, I'm not going to pretend Jack Grealish is the fastest man. He's been out of form as of late, but he scored the tying goal. or At the time, it was the go-ahead goal in the 80th minute, which got equalized by Spurs by of all people, Kulisevsky, who, as Sean mentioned, <laughs> watch out for him. But yeah. uh, it was one of those plays where the ref plays advantage. Play continued. Jack Grealish got his first touch off before the whistle was called, had the breakaway, and then Simon Hooper called it back. I mean, I don't know if the EPL has been in talks with the NFL about scripting their weekends, but this was absolute <laughs> nonsense. Nonsense. And, I mean, it, it was brutal. I mean, the, the Foden goal was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. The second goal scored, first goal Man City actually put in, was a Pep Guardiola special. It was almost five straight one-touch passes around the top of the box, found the man in the middle, tap-in goal, passed it in the side of the net. It's exactly what Pep Guardiola has been trying to teach this team for seven years, and it's, it's really nice to see it in flow, in motion. That being said, that was really the only beautiful goal. I mean, Jack Grealish did slot his in, another type of pass-in goal, as Pep Guardiola loves the score without De Bruyne on the field. But I, I think Son had the most impact. He scored early. He scored again early on the wrong net, idiot. But <laughs> it was... Uh, you, know, you gotta do Sonny like that, bro. That, that guy is like the nicest person. Like the least hateable player in the league. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, dumbass, he shouldn't have done that. He was making up for all the goals that were called back last weekend. <laughs> all in all, I think genuinely, and and this is this is my genuine opinion. I don't care if this happened to Bournemouth. I don't care if this happened to Brighton. That 
decision by Simon Hooper to bring back that play at the end of the game was the closest I've seen to he clearly got paid. Clearly. He he wanted that game to end as a tie. And it was infuriating to watch that. I mean, it's one of those games I watched the highlights once after I watched the full game. I usually enjoy watching Men's City highlights three to four times after I watch the game. <laughs> once. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. Fuck everyone. Not everyone. Simon Hooper. But that was absolute <laughs> hogwash nonsense. Tomfoolery. We've been robbed. And, I mean, this is going to have ramifications. This comes down to De Bruyne's absence once again, week after week. I, He's needed. We need that pass. We can't just dribble the ball up the net, as Pep Guardiola likes to do. If you don't have the best pass from the world on your team, it doesn't work. So, I mean, we have Aston Villa this weekend, and that's... I can see us lose dropping more points to Villa at Villa Park. I, I don't disagree with you, but I'm more interested or would like to hear from Sean being another victim of the Simon Hooper era or saga. What do you feel about this meaning from when something very similar happened to Liverpool in their game against Tottenham as well? So what what's what's going on here, man? What are your thoughts, feelings of the of the no call call and the overall performance of the game? Because I don't I don't think we need the to overshadow the spectacle that was the game because that was quite an entertaining game outside of this. So why don't you go ahead and start there and then bring us back to reality on on the on the possession and the play. Yeah, I think like he's like he talked about, um, or like Kyle said, it's not so because I think Tom said, Oh, we were talking to our friend who's a big Spurs fan. He said, Oh, I think Grealish was offside. That's why he called it back. That's not his call to make. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's like referee one oh one to play advantage in that situation. Like Kyle said, Holland pops up and plays it right away. It's it's just bad. And it, like I pointed out a month and change ago, Simon Hooper is a bad official. He's demonstrated that throughout the last you know twelve months. His performances. He's fat. He's bald. He's ugly. Um, <laughs> at the same time, I don't know if it's quite as simple of a you know he, Jack Grealish is definitely going to score. He scores his first and twenty eight in this game. It's not the paciest guy in the world. And Basuma's tracking him down for what's you know, maybe a six, uh, you know, 55 45 ball. So there's no guarantees, but again, inexcusable officiating to stop the play there. But to talk overall, the game was top, top notch. The quality, the pressing from Man City once again caused huge problems for their opponent, just like we saw against Liverpool last week. They created two of their three goals just purely pressing that back line, winning the ball back, and then quickly countering and creating a goal. And then on the other side, Ange. He does not shy away from anyone. He plays his game no matter who the opposition is. They insisted on playing out from the back. It burned him a couple of times, like we talked about with the Foden goal, with the with the Grealish goal as well. But it also created, you know, quick opportunities for them to score all three of their goals on the break. Kulisevsky, I mean, not to pat ourselves on the back, but we did talk about how good he's been against Man City. He sets up the first goal. He also scores the equalizer with a beautiful header. Absolutely. Um, he was phenomenal playing kind of in that 10 role. Um, and then, you know, Skip, Hoiberg, and Basuma played really well in this game. And and I think, yeah, obviously, you know, City's missing De Bruyne, but I think the bigger issue is John Stones. That's my opinion. Um, they've been conceding way more goals than they were last year. I'd love to know what they're on pace for. Last year, they were like well under a goal per game allowed. Okay. Um, and Stones is a big miss in the middle of that park. I don't think Akanji is best playing that inverted or whatever, you know, moving into midfield role just doesn't suit him. And it feels like you can get at City if you can beat that initial press. Rodri doesn't have the best recovery pace in the world. And if you just kind of get past that first level of press, we saw it with the goal against Liverpool or the Liverpool goal. We saw it a few times in this game. and We saw it with the Kai Havertz knock on for the Martinelli goal. If you can get past that initial press and play it long, City can be had. Yeah. And they've shown a little bit more weakness than we've seen in the last couple of years. And, I again, I understand De Bruyne is top-notch. They'd score more goals with him. They probably don't have to be as attacking if they have him. But I think Stones is as big, if not more, of an impact with the results lately. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We have it highlighted here. Is Man City's defense in question here? One, I think a big thing that people are are – pointing out as well on the offensive side of things, Erling Holland had a couple opportunities to put the game away for Manson and he missed. Now, granted, the guy has a, I'm pretty sure, a 19% conversion rate for his shooting, which is impeccable, but 
you, you, you got to capitalize on situations like that to not shadow the incident that happened with Simon Hooper. You know, you score that goal, maybe that doesn't happen. Not giving him a, a hall pass by any means. But the big thing for us here is I think the defense, and I think you're, you're spot on with Stones. And I think, Kyle, you mentioned before, I think the defense is taking a massive hit because also Kevin De Bruyne isn't in, which now they have to kind of adjust for people to play in multiple positions that they're not normally playing to make up for possibly the lack of creativity. Like, I'm going to use Silva as an example. You know, Kevin De Bruyne could fit right in there. He's in the center of the pitch. He kind of plays a false nine. But instead of that, you have Julian Alvarez there. So now you kind of have the forward thinking forward there. Silva's playing out wide, more of a winger. There becomes more of a gap in the center. And you have Stones, who is possibly an inverted full, uh, not a fullback, but an inverted center back to step up when needed to be alongside Rodri. And a lot of the issues are coming down that center of the pitch. And Sean, to your point, on pace right now, Man City, they had 33 goals against last season alone, the entirety of the season. They're at 16 right now. They're at half of what they are, you know, were expected to be. And we're only in week 15. Yeah. And, you know, the the saying goes, defense wins championships. And the stat that I'll I'll make a connection to Arsenal here is shocker. What a shock. That James is going to bring up Arsenal. How about you compare him to Chelsea 2004-2005? That's who you compare him to. <laughs> if you know, that is that is the defensive uh, standard. But if you look at the the change between Arsenal this year and last year, is they're lacking in the goal department, but they're rock solid in the back. And they were not lacking goals last year by any means, and they still lost. So a bit of a reorientation of their focus this year was their defensive shape and their lineup. So City, if, if I'm Pep, I might be not tinkering around with that back line kind of formation anymore. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I think Saliba's out of his mind. He might be the best center back in the world right now. But well, um, thank you. Yeah, I agree with you guys where the defense definitely needs help. It's just this game specifically, I wouldn't put on the defense. They allowed four shots on target, eight total shots. I think Ederson messed up pretty big this game. Yeah, he had absolutely. Some, I don't think those all three of those, I don't think they should all have been in the back of the net. The first goal, it was hard, but it was right at him. He's got to make that save. Got to make that I mean, save. When you're a goalie who's not used to getting shot on very much, it, it, you know, maybe yeah. he's a little bit rusty but like, back there. At but the end I of the agree. day, though, it was, it was four shots on target. Two of them were, un, I mean, Kulisevsky's unsavable. Yeah, Absolutely you're not doing anything about that. Perfect. But other than that, I don't think that they should have allowed all three of those goals. And as a the defense, if, a if I had been told, hey, by the <laughs> way, Man City is going to let up uh, four shots on target that game, I'd go, word, sweet, good job, defense, four shots, no problem. No, Sean, you're you're right about Los Celso's for sure. That so was that's a, a good finish. That's a it's really a good finish. finish. Yeah, yeah. That was that that came from a defensive turnover though, right? And in, in yep, Man City's quick transition. own half, yeah, quick transition yep. from pressure. Yep, yep. You know, but I I, I think. On the subject of defense, if you guys are good to move on, I think one of the, another team who's really struggling with this at this point and is getting a lot of heat for not being the same team they were last year because simply they just don't have the same players is Brighton. We have the Chelsea versus Brighton. Chelsea beat them at home 3-2. to two. Expected goals were Chelsea 2.13 and Brighton 1.1. Now, this was a really entertaining game. It had a red card for Connor Gallagher. It had a plethora of goals. Sean, why don't you kind of take it away? And and what and once you're kind of done, I kind of want to step in and, and highlight the the issues that Brighton are seeing in the back line and, and their injuries. But take it away your your thoughts and your feelings about this game, um, the highlights, and and where we where we go to next. Sure. I mean, Chelsea definitely deserved to win this game. They were the better team across the balance of play. I will say at the same time, though, they got very, very lucky. Um, you talked about Gallagher getting sent off. Moises Caicedo had three fouls that could have been yellow cards. He, he got booked in, like, the 40th minute, and then he had two quick ones right after that. He could have easily been sent off, one on each side of halftime, and they'd be down to nine men. Um, but they were able to pull this one out. It almost seemed like once Brighton got the man advantage, they just – they weren't able to convert. They don't have the same, te- like, attacking, you know, incisiveness, I guess is the word. Uh, Buenanote, one of my favorite elite names in the league, scored a goal, came in off the right and, and put it in on his left, which is a nice goal. Um, but, yeah, I think 
and, and you're going to touch upon it now, they just don't seem to have the same level of creativity or, you know, the killer instinct that they've had. And probably a big part of that is due to transfers and, and European football that they're contending with now. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're feeling it. They're feeling the battle of the war on multiple fronts with their domestic and European play. And they're one of the teams that the injury bug is hitting them pretty hard. I mean, and like I said before, I think it, their defensive line is where it's hitting them the most. And it's barely noticeable from last year. I mean, you can tell they're really missing their star Ecuadorian, Estupinian, who, crazy stats here, last season was in the 94th percent of shots for, his, for the defensive position, as well as 96th in chances created. I mean, that's Trent Alexander-Arnold numbers right there, 96, as a fullback. He hasn't played since November 9th, and his last full 90 was sep September 27th. That is a massive blow that I think a lot of people are overlooking when they're looking at this Brighton team. And then, you know, Matoma has also been limited playing time since his last 90 minutes on November 9th as well, which was a which was a win against Ajax. And then you had, uh, you know, more attacking woes. They're missing Danny Welbeck, I mentioned before, for injury. Ansu Fadi, who is their low knee for the season, who's been playing really well, is currently out injured. One of your favorite players, Soli March, has been out since October 29th. And then Pedro is just easing back in as well. So they're really feeling a lot of injuries and a lot of issues with trying to rotate players and make sure everyone's getting just enough minutes. You know, I'd be extremely interested to see what they do in the winter window with the ample funds that they have collected over the past few windows. Who knows? Maybe they'll swoop in and got, buy fucking Mbappe now and then just for <laughs> one year. And then we'll all become really big Brighton yeah. fans. Yeah, for $200 million for one year? I think they got it over one transfer window. So, I mean, I, mean, I mean, they could do it. I can't believe Ryan's still in the green right now. They're unbelievable over there with their business. They're just, they're just a factory. You know, they're a factory. And it's really, really in impressive. And, you know, it, I, I don't want to take away from Chelsea either because if you look at this stat, which is wild for them, they had a total of eight shots, five on target, and they scored three goals. Granted, one was a penalty kick, but in previous Chelsea games, they'd have 15 shots, one on target, five big chances missed. It's definitely an impressive performance from Chelsea. Brighton still were able to put up some really impressive numbers, but they had a man advantage with 18 shots, nine of them on target. Um, and, you know, they had 68% possession. But this is just another really good win for Chelsea who are trying to make a comeback this season. But comeback of the weekend definitely goes to your boys in red, Sean. Liverpool coming back, really having, you know, an impressive game all in all, but Fulham almost had an as equal, if not more impressive game, know, of the game for them. Game I think the for, yeah, for them, I think it was probably their best game I've seen them, especially in the center of the park and their ability to control and move the ball around, especially taking advantage of some mismatches in the center of the pitch uh, with, uh, with Liverpool's lineup. But for those who did not see it, Liverpool won this game 4-3. Liverpool had an XG of 2.44, and Fulham had an XG of 1.38. But, Sean, take us through this game, your thoughts, your feelings, and I can only imagine what your heart rate was at the end there, around the, what was it, the 89th, 88th minute? Absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, you talk about a swing of emotion, that 80th minute and then the 87th, 88th. Um, I mean, I can obviously throw it at Kyle here. I, I think four goal of the month candidates. Trent's first one, the free kick that ended up being an own goal. It went off Leno. The second one is the pick of the bunch with the volley from McAllister. Endo, who I was like furious. I'm like, what is Klopp doing? We're down a goal. He's putting on our backup holding midfielder. He scores a, a perler. And then Trent, half volley to, to win it just 65 seconds after the endo goal. Um, it was insane. Just an absolutely insane. The game was like smoking crack, basically. <laughs> I've never smoked crack, but I imagine this is what I, <laughs> the type of feelings that what I would undergo because I was, I was up here. I was down there. It was rough. Um, but yeah, I, I, just overall really wild one. I think this is a game that, more likely than not, if Allison's in goal, is a lot more comfortable of a win. Um, not no, not to shit on Queevy Kelleher, just not his best game by any means. Got beat at his near post on the first goal. Um, but take nothing away from Fulham. Like you said, they played really well. They were good on the counter. They were slick in their you know their build up play. 
Um, and and they caused Liverpool a lot of problems. And and also, you know, from an attacking sense, yeah, Liverpool had high XG, but all of their goals had to be perlers. There was no easy, you know, clear cut, bang it in chance that um, that they created. So credit to Marco Silva, he had a really good game plan and and caused a lot of problems. But um, yeah, obviously, I mean, the the guy to talk about is Trent. Just just a beautiful goal, and and really another another big goal two weeks in a row from him. Um, I think it's time to to retire him from the right back position and put him in midfield. It's just you're you're stifling such a good creator. Obviously, you know he can still do that at right back, but also his long long distance shooting is among the best in the league, and you don't get the best out of him at at, at right back anymore. I don't think, but I could be wrong about that. Um, but I, I want to quote something my friend Jack, who's a Tottenham fan, said. He goes, "Liverpool has alligator blood." It just seems like no matter what you do to them, especially when they're at home, it doesn't seem to rattle them. They just kind of just keep going. Um, and as soon as that endo goal went in, I was like, they're going to win this game. You could just feel it from the crowd. The crowd was really into it. Um, and they win the ball back right away, go down and score. And it was like, yep. that like It just felt like it was coming. Oh, yeah. um, it, obviously, like you said, just complete swing of emotion. But um, huge three points. and And the only negative thing I would say is that they clearly need more control in their games. And I think you touched on it here. It might be time to put Cody Gakpo on the nine to start him at least. Yeah. I kind of mentioned it briefly when I was talking about Man City being able to put the game away when they have those opportunities with Holland. And I want to bring it up to you with that number nine is, is Darwin Nunez. Can you trust Nunez? He is currently tied for second with big chances missed at 13 and has a shot conversion rate of 6.8%. And in this game, he really went for power and would have been a great finish if it was just about a half inch to an inch lower. It probably goes bar down into the goal, but it's the, his, the bar is not his friend. The post is not his friend. Easy goals are not his friend. Is this something that you start to really consider? Yeah, it's it's difficult because I... I, I... I mean, he also puts himself in position to create a lot of chances, um, you know, with his pace, his power. He, he doesn't really give up on anything. Um, but, yeah, obviously his composure needs work. His finishing needs work. And and like I said, I think, you know, having someone like Gakpo in the, in the center forward spot gives you a bit more control. He's a bit more like that Bobby Firmino type of player where you can, you know, possess the ball and then you could throw Nunez on it at 60 minutes yep. and let him cause chaos with fresh legs. Um, I think... I don't think that's the long-term solution. I think Nunez is the nine of the future. Um, but just in in the present moment where Liverpool will play a little too chaotically, I think Gakpo comes in and settles things down a bit. Um, but I, I, I got to give him credit. He kept the ball alive on the fourth goal, too. You know, it was a, a, a shot from distance from Gakpo. Nunez runs onto it, crosses it back over to Simicast. He heads it down for Trent. So he was part of the goal, you know, that won them the game. But, yeah, I understand. Obviously, you can only make excuses for him for, for so long. Yeah, but, you know, also, I I bring it up to stir the pot a little bit, but you can't knock that he's having a very good season regardless of that conversion rate. He is one of the highest goal contributors of the season so far. I mean, he's almost up there with Saka, who just, you know, surpassed him over the past two <laughs> two weekends with, with, with goals and assists. But he's got four, what is this here? He's got four goals and four assists for the season. Him and, and uh, Salah were looking like the duo of the season for, for quite some time there. But I think we in the beginning of the season, we talked about exactly what you said. You bring Gapco on for the more needed control games and then just fucking walking chaos or running chaos for, for Nunez. Really, really impressive start, and I think he'll find his legs um, if he can catch up to him further down the road. <laughs> Great shot by Gapco, too, for the fourth goal. Great shot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that ball was, it was under his body. He, he found power I didn't think he could find for that shot, to be honest. Yeah, to create the rebound. So no, you're right. He definitely deserves credit there too. Yeah, I mean, it was it's a fun game to watch. I I was only able to catch the second half, but most of the action happened in that last 20 minutes of the game, regardless. But the, yeah, if you Liverpool's guys did always it, been up an entertaining one. Go watch those goddamn highlights. It is bliss just for skip 14 the highlights. minutes. Just watch the last watch 20 the minutes game, of the or game. Or just watch the game. Yeah. I mean, and if you can yeah. find, I highly suggest if you can find a stream that doesn't have announcers, it's just the stadium volume. Watch that, because as Sean mentioned, after Enzo scored that goal, there was no doubt that they, uh, Liverpool was going to win that game. 
those fans were they were men 12 13 14 and 15 on liverpool right there that was just a wave a tidal wave of red i mean i would i would be shaking in my boots if i was full of in those last five to ten minutes while it was time absolutely sean you have that uh sleep sound loop of anfield's audio on repeat <laughs> right you can send that link over yeah i was i made my fiance listen to like the crowd noise for after the goal and she was like Oh, cool. Like, it was so irrelevant there, but I was like, you got to hear this. Like, she thought I was going to show her something, like, really, like, informative or funny. Nope. Just just crowd noise. After like like a Garnacho goal, maybe? No, maybe. not even that. It was just, like, hate Garnacho like... in the Liverpool locker room. They must hate him. <laughs> oh. That man like, just stole good. goal of the season away from any of those Liverpool <laughs> goals. Any one of them could have qualified. <laughs> Cornacho's yeah. like, no, I got this for my bicycle. It, it, it was a it was a weekend full of action. And before we get into the next week and weekend full of action, I think we're going to add a little quick segment here. It's going to be our quick shout outs. So we, we cover the bulk of any game that's really excited or of any monumental um, weight in the table or in stances, but we always forget sometimes about the little guys or the little wins. So we're going to do a quick like shout Arsenal. out before we had any, yeah, yeah, exactly. They get, they get a quick shout yeah. out this weekend. So we kind of talked to them about them already, but Burnley collected their second win. I'm sorry. Yeah. Collected their second win of the season, first home win. And they scored one third of their total <laughs> goals for the season in this one game. They scored five goals this game. They have 15 so far the entire season against the fellow promoted Sheffield United which uh, switch positions from 20th to 19th right now. And then, Kyle, who do we have here next for another quick shout-out? Listen, I would just like to say that is the Brun Larson effect. Look for Burnley to really step it up in the next couple of weeks. I'm just saying. Uh, next, I want to touch upon Bournemouth. They once again won against Villa. And this is a team that Man City is about to play. I think we're going to drop points. I honestly think that Villa's in better form than Manchester City in their last five games. So this is not going to be a walk in the park. The fact that Bournemouth took all three points off of them. And it's One now point. Accumulated... It was a tie. It was a tie. They almost took all three points, but Villa had a 90th-minute goal from Ollie Watkins. But, uh, I mean, Villa is in freak form. So I think mm -hmm. this is a, a statement for Bournemouth. I, guys, if you find any any bet on FanDuel, DraftKings, whatever, that has Bournemouth getting relegated, bet your bank account on it. It'll work. They're going to be fine. We, we have two more or three more shout-outs real quick. One I mentioned last week to keep an eye on, and that's Anthony Gordon. He stays hot with his third goal in four matches at Newcastle United with their third straight game against Man U for the first time in 101 years. Totally dominant effort, and that she was Seriously? three point. Yeah, it was it was crazy. And that was that's a stat brought to you by Sean, actually. Um, James, did you and... call that uh, that goal? I said Anthony Gordon was going to be hot. I think yeah. he's, I've highlighted him kind of like we talked about Kulisetsky. Um, Anthony Gordon's really found his form. And if you don't remember last season, he was benched for a little little time for, you know, his attitude. And I think Eddie Howe has done a great job kind of taking him, this young player, under his wing. And then the last quick shout-out we have here is Arsenal over Wolves. It's got great table implications because it – tells us that we can still be two points ahead of Liverpool and we gain four valuable points over Manchester City um, and to me a big highlight was Udegaard gets back into EPL scoring form he gets a great great left foot footed strike from a really well built um, a really well built team goal but I think it will be really exciting to see more action twice this week so before we get into the games and sean takes it away from there we're going to listen to some more fun music and take a quick break i love the music <laughs> all right so we have now entered the festive period of the season Six matches in the next 26 days, plus the return of the FA Cup. Depth will be tested. Resiliency will be tested. This type of this period of the season can make or break a team season, um, particularly you know with injuries, with the accumulation of games, and uh, and speaking of accumulation, that's going to affect Man City this week because they will be without Rodri and Jack Grealish, as Kyle touched upon before, when they go to Villa on Wednesday. Um, we won't go too into depth on this one, but I just wanted to mention Villa's one of two teams that have won every game they've played at home this year. They have the best goal differential of any home team this year. 
that's going to be tested. They have two massive fixtures this week, both at home. First, they have Man City coming. Like I said, no Rodri, no Grealish, no De Bruyne, no Stones, no Kyle Mansley. Um, <laughs> and then Arsenal. Ah, they take your, your, they take your boys. Yeah, the, the Mansley one, they, I don't know if they can overcome. <laughs> um, and then the Arsenal takes a, <laughs> takes a trip down to Birmingham as well. Um, Arsenal have one loss and one draw in their only two away matches against the top half this year. So that's an interesting note just to see if they can overcome their poor form on the on the road so far. I know you're going to respond by telling me that they got robbed at Newcastle, but I still thought it was worth mentioning. You said it. I'm good. We can live on. My heart is still over there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the pick of the bunch for me is Chelsea versus Man United at Old Trafford. This is a midweek game. This is on Wednesday. Two ga- Two teams where we feel like we're talking about every week, their lack of consistency and just, you know, general chaos. This this is this game might could be the the beginning of the end for Ten Hag, coming off a bad loss against Newcastle. Yes, they only lost one nothing. They were outplayed from the word go. They had some chances late. I know Kyle's friend Ian wants me and James dead for for picking Newcastle in that game. Hopefully he's <laughs> he's softened on that stance. Um, <laughs> but Manu at home, they won this fixture four one last year, and they're desperate. I'll go to you, Kyle, quickly. What do you think about this one? I, I mean, I think Chelsea wins this one, too. I, I called them over Burnley. I'm going to call them. I mean, Burnley's a better team than Man U right now. This is wow. Chelsea's in form, <laughs> period. They are scoring. I mean, we we touched upon it last week. They've been scoring out of their mind in the Premier League. They've been going four goals here, four goals there. They just popped three against Brighton. So they're doing this against top-tier teams. They're, they're going to score against fucking Maguire. It's going to happen. Multiple times that oaf is going to be plastered to the floor. He's going to get dropped by Sun, not Sun. I'm sorry, by uh, Sterling, and Sterling mm-hmm. is going to, with his ass sticking out, out dribble that fool. <laughs> it's going to be fair. You always have to. You, you guys bang on me all the time with my uh, with my comments about physical attributes, but I think Kyle has talked about Sterling's ass the just bunda. as much the bunda as as much. But I guess it, it's kind of more more so applicable here, but. I, I'm with Kyle on this one. I think Chelsea takes it. I think we see a goal from Sterling. Um, I see a goal and assist from Sterling. I think Chelsea wins this game uh, 2-1. I'm going to go for a draw. I think uh, Chelsea's, like we've talked about, has not lost to any teams in the top half, or at least, excuse me. No, I think things to, to the yeah. top half, it's really the bottom half where they struggle. They've done well against the big six. Yeah. I think they're going to cause problems for Man United, but it's hard for me to, to pick against them at Old Trafford. I think they find a way to, to eke out a 2-2 draw. Should be a good one, though. Um, and then another game, James, I'll throw it over to you for this one. Spurs, or excuse me, let, forget Spurs-West Ham. Spurs-Newcastle United on Sunday. Yep. That's a, yep. That's a cracker. It is. It is. And the only thing that I will say is they're both injury plagued teams Spurs has shown us that even with the injuries they are still capable especially with what they put up against Man City this past weekend the big thing for me is their home record obviously Spurs have not lost a lot of games because they have only lost three but they happen to all be within the past four games they're sitting at eighth with their home record right now four wins and two losses they have also played the one of the least amount of home games so it's kind of a you know, skewed stat there. But if you look at away form, Newcastle is shite too. They, they, they've played six away games. They've only won one. They've drawn two and they've lost three. And they have a goal differential of three. So their defense is kind of lacking specifically away from home. And that's not something that Spurs are going to not take advantage of. And especially with kind of the younger back line that Newcastle could possibly be having out there. It could be a really tight game. I think I think Spurs win this one. I think they win two two nil. I think they they really take the momentum that they got from Manchester City and they win. Obviously, I would love to see them not win, but at this point, at the table, you know, in all comps or all home and away, it's five versus six. So either team losing is a benefit to the EPL state of mind title race. A draw would be ideal, uh, possibly two two. I think we're either going to see Newcastle with a goose egg or a tie 2-2. Okay. 
And just while we're on the subject of Newcastle, they are my lock of the week on Thursday at Goodison Park. And Kyle, I know you're going to look at me like, how could you pick against Everton at Goodison Park? But I just feel like Newcastle are turning it around. They're starting to get their players back fit. They'll take a lot of inspiration from that win against United. Yes, they're on the road against a tough opponent, but I, I think they find a way. They're plus 140 right now, which is good odds for a team that's in the top wow. half. Wow. Um, I just That's a respect shown wow. to Goodison Park, but I'm going to take the, the Magpies to win that one. That's my lock of the week. I look to be the first one to go above 500 since Kyle in like week eight. So that's my pick. <laughs> I think that's a great lock. And I know Goodison Park is not an easy place to pay, play knowing firsthand as a, and as a gunner. They've lost five games from home this season. To see Newcastle being plus odds right now, I, I think that's I think that's right. I think that's I think hammer you're gonna, that one, fellas. Hammer yeah, that lock I, of the week. That's a great one. Are are we all in an agreement of of this lock of the week? Is this yeah, our first I think unanimous? I think he found the glitch in the system. Yeah, except so. except when it's wrong, then we're gonna have to bring Blake on to like just assholes. run circles around us. <laughs> <laughs> I agreed, but. Again, like like Sean said, there is no better time than the holidays, and this is a massive reason why a lot of action teams will be tested. The EPL state of mind, knowledge bank, and mental capacity for games will be tested, and hopefully you all will test yourselves on how much soccer or football you can watch over this holiday month. So until then, it's EPL state of mind signing out. As always, thank you for your listens. Your comments and your contributions until then enjoy the week of action